Hi everyone. So here we are at the end of another day and ready to fall into another dream. At the time of this recording, I'm sitting at a table in Yall in County Cork. Yall is a seaside town that sits on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. Travel west and your next stop will be America, over 3,000 miles away. Unlike the last few days, unfortunately today was overcast and drizzly. The soft grey clouds rolling over the surface of the sea. It was on that sea that I began to watch some lifeguards practicing their drills. It's quite impressive to watch them run from the sand to the water and swim with all their might into the tumbling waves which crash about their bodies. If nothing else, being a lifeguard is a vocation. There are many vocations, of course, and I begin to wonder why people choose the ones that they do. A doctor, a teacher, therapist. So tonight's story is going to be about another vocation, a spiritual one, and how one man begins to reflect on his vocation and what it means to him as our world continues to change around us. A Visitor by M.J. McGrath Father O'Rourke stood in the rear garden of his parochial house and gazed at his vegetables in their carefully cultivated plot. The cabbage leaves shone in a striking emerald hue beneath the midday sun, and the freshly turned soil teemed with the possibilities of renewed life. Though his vocation in his new parish had only begun two months previously, the young clergyman had felt a disconcerting responsibility towards the small garden since his arrival. He was also under no illusions that the parental care he had begun to bestow upon the plants owed much to the untimely demise of his predecessor, the affable and most reverend Father James Flanagan. The parish of Galbally had been entrusted to Father Flanagan for over three decades, but at the relatively youthful age of 68, he had been called to his maker's side once more. It had been sudden. Dr Joyce had only given Father James the all-clear in his annual checkup during the previous month, and by all accounts he was in great condition for a man approaching his 70th year. The post-mortem will conclude that a blood clot drifted to his aorta as he walked out of the post office on the main street of the village. Despite the shock and trauma to those who came upon him as he lay stricken on the pavement, the manner of his death had afforded the man a dignity in his own right. He had died in the embrace of his beloved parishioners, and for that, Father O'Rourke mused above his cabbage leaves, the old priest would surely count his blessings. The afternoon was turning dark overhead, and it had begun to look as if the watering can would prove unnecessary after all. A sharpening breeze bustled through the swaying branches of the apple tree, and as Father O'Rourke looked skyward, he was thankful for the shelter of the high stone walls which surrounded the green enclosure. Retreating to his kitchen and closing the patio door, the young priest looked solemnly at his phone, which lay at the edge of a large pine table in the centre of the room. He had left it there deliberately before making good his escape to the garden that morning. Yet now that his work had been forced to an abrupt end, he would have to face its incessant demands once more. It was rare that an hour would go by without a notification of some sort or another, a parishioner in need of service, 
word of a change to an upcoming event, the bishop to see how he was settling in, or, on rare occasions, a message from one of his friends in the city. The message for one o'clock today was from his mother. It was an unfortunate truth that Mrs. O'Rourke had given three quarters of her adult life worrying about her children. Her daughter had left home at 18 to pursue a career in music, which remained a work in progress some 15 years later. She now lived in Birmingham and rarely called home. Mrs. O'Rourke's eldest son had joined the army straight out of school and gave much of his time overseas with the UN on peacekeeping duties. When not in the Middle East, he lived in a military base in the Curra. He rarely came home either, unless for a funeral or some other family event he felt compelled to attend. Finally, there was her baby son, her golden boy, and he had run off to join the priesthood. Father O'Rourke inhaled a tired breath as he picked his phone off the table and read the notification from his mother. There was no pressing news from home, but his personal welfare was still a cause of considerable consternation. And so he began to type his response in earnest. Yes, he was settling in fine, and the country people were treating him well enough. Yes, he was eating a hot dinner every day, and the housekeeper hadn't made strange with him because of the death of the other priest. And no, he didn't miss the city all that much. But if he did, he also knew he could throw his hat at the whole thing and move home whenever he wanted. Father O'Rourke looked skyward for some inspiration regarding his mother. He worried that she worried too much about him. It was uncomfortable to think that his father still worked long hours at the factory, and that she spent too much time ruminating alone in the house. He would stay an extra hour or two when he drove home for dinner this weekend and embark on a charm offensive on the delights of life in rural Ireland. He knew his mother didn't trust country people. She could never trust people who seemed so closely related or could sleep in their beds without the noise of traffic. It didn't help that her first cousin from Tipperary had something of a roving hand whenever he was around her and could be a little too fond of the drink. While turning over these considerations, Father O'Rourke became vaguely aware of a door opening at the front of the house and heavy footsteps trampling along wooden floorboards. A trance-like state had rendered him dumb and it was not until the brass handle of the kitchen door turned sharply downward that he became fully aware of his housekeeper entering the room behind him. Mrs Fleming bustled into the kitchen with the air of someone who thrived under virtue of staying busy. With just enough time between breaths to greet the young priest, she quickly moved her large body between the cupboards and the fridge as she stuffed each shelf with food items. The scene brought to Father O'Rourke's mind the motion of a round bumblebee, travelling from one plant to another, and he smiled softly to himself at the thought. Awful bad turn in the weather, Father Sean, the housekeeper chimed with her head beneath the sink and a rotund rear facing the priest. They're giving it bad for the weekend, Mrs Fleming. Well, sure, I suppose it had to break sometime, and wasn't God good to give us such a glorious April? Father O'Rourke often wondered if his housekeeper made religious references to other people too, or if they were just exclusively reserved for him. Sure, God is good to us all, Mrs Fleming. And you know something else, Father? 
The sun always shines more in the county than it does in the city. Have you ever noticed that? Not really, to be honest. Gospel truth now, Father. I thought you might have taken heed of it, being a city man and all. Well, I suppose the weather has been fairly tropical since I arrived here, all right. But it's only been a few weeks. Sure, there you go now, Father. You should keep a note of the temperatures and pressures and whatnot in one of those notebooks you do carry on yourself. I'd bet a pretty shilling there's more to what I say than those weather boys on television do be letting on. I'll take note of it, Mrs. Fleming. The housekeeper nodded her approval as she removed a bag of potatoes from under the press and brought them to the sink to be washed. Father O'Rourke didn't like asking what she was making for dinner, as it made him feel infantile. While wondering exactly why this was the case, he found his thoughts interrupted by the loud ringing of the doorbell. Are you expecting guests, Father? Mrs. Fleming asked, without turning her large back from the sink. As a matter of fact, I'm not, replied the priest, with a doubtful tone. You stay as you are. I'll go and see who it must be. Lifting himself heavily from the chair, for he had become stiff from sitting on the hard wooden surface, Father O'Rourke walked disjointedly towards the corridor, before tidying up his posture as he approached the front porch. Like the house itself, the heavy oak door groaned under the weight of antiquity, giving each visitor a reassuringly regal reception. Good afternoon to you, the priest smiled to a young man, standing on the stone steps of the parochial house. And the man was quite young indeed, maybe no more than nineteen. He wore an unironed shirt in the manner of someone who wasn't accustomed to wearing shirts very often. His tight navy jacket was striking for its abundance of zips, and his blue jeans hung disconcertingly low around his groin. Hello, father. The boy mumbled without making eye contact, preferring to stare at a space behind the clergyman's ear. And what can I do for you today, young fellow? The boy shifted awkwardly on the steps and kept both his hands buried deep in the security of his pockets. Well, I'd like to talk to you about a baptism, if you're free at all. Masking his surprise with another smile, Father O'Rourke nodded and once again considered the young man's age. I'm free right now if you'd like to come in and tell me what arrangements you had in mind. The young man seemed at once agreeable to this proposal and looked at the priest directly for the first time. His long fringe was combed carefully to one side, and though his pale eyes were tired, his skin was glowing pink, and his cheeks flushed with the bloom of youth. Making their way towards the parlour to the rear of the house, the young man introduced himself as John Brady from Tralee. He had moved from home over a year ago, and had been living locally since. Ushering him to an armchair in the dimly lit room, Father O'Rourke switched on the overhead lights to offset the unseasonably dark turn the day had taken outside the windows. An angry sky boiled in the grey clouds over the hills, and a heavy air hung in the blanket about the parish. A drop of rain would break it, sighed the priest, as he brought himself down upon his favourite armchair and opened a large diary for inspection. The young man didn't answer, as his eyes were busily moving through the dark furnishings of the old room. In days gone by, 
the parlour had entertained many a party, and Mrs. Fleming was quick to discuss which bishops liked a few drops of the hard stuff well into the small hours of the morning. Like the housekeeper's stories, the mahogany cabinets were dated but timeless, and the bottle green wallpaper gave the space a quiet decorum. What dates were you thinking of for the christening, John? asked the priest. The young man looked at him dumbly from his distractions. I'm sorry, what did you say? The baptism, John. What days did you have in mind for it? Oh, I suppose whatever day suits all of you up here, really. Father O'Rourke smiled patiently. I'll need you to be more specific than that. Just give me a rough idea and I'll see what's available here in the diary. All right. Well, I suppose soon enough, like maybe next month. We'll be looking at June, so... Yeah, that's grand. The 22nd at 1pm. Suit you well enough? John nodded his head in a nervous twitch, as if the confirmation of a date had made the occasion a reality he was unprepared for. After giving the names of the mother and child to the priest, he continued to gaze out the window, inhaling deeply into his rising chest and coughing into his sleeve. The rain had finally pierced through the grey blanket overhead, and generous drops spattered loudly in the flower pots on the windowsill. Father O'Rourke uncorked his fountain pen and scratched the date into the thick paper of his diary. It would be a busy month for him, but that was just the way he liked it. So much for twiddling his thumbs by the fireside out in the country. Placing the diary on a low coffee table which sat between them, the priest listened attentively to the rain's melody as it dropped into various containers and chimed against a group of tin cans. The boy remained unsettled and continued to watch water drops snake down the window, his back rigid against the chair. Father O'Rourke became suddenly aware of how little he knew about his guest and parishioner, and this concerned him, for the young man looked tired and troubled in his seat. Feeling a hair bristle against his collar, the priest allowed his voice to fall softly across the room. How did you decide upon that name for the baby? John looked somewhat startled at his host before painting a smile on his face. He was always going to be called Dennis. Well now, there's a grand traditional name. Dennis, yes. It has a lovely ring to it when you say it aloud. The young man shifted in his seat and knitted his fingers together on his lap. It's her father's name and his father before him. She's very close to them both. Well, some customs never grow old. And isn't it a blessing that you have an opportunity to keep the given name in the family? John retouched the corners of his painted smile, but his eyes would not twinkle. He sat perfectly still and waited for the next words from the priest. And have you settled in well to the village? Sure, and do my best to make a go of it, Father. Long way from the kingdom of Kerry up in these parts, I suppose. Still, it's a beautiful part of the country too. And where are you living, if you don't mind my asking? We're sharing a flat on the Tipperary Road. But having the one bedroom, it's been a bit cramped for the last few weeks with the baby and all. Must be a tight squeeze. But sure, many a little family has to go through it for a spell. 
The young man scratched at the light stubble along the side of his jaw. Her father has given us a site near their farm about a mile outside the village. The foundations are already dug. Oh sure, that's fantastic news altogether, John. You won't know yourselves once you have all that room. We should be able to move in there within seven months, her father says. Well, I wish you both a great future in your new home. Not many young people your age have the opportunity to own their own house. The young man opened his mouth and hesitated. I'd best be getting back to herself. I've been gone a few hours and it's getting fairly late in the evening. Slipping his cap from his pocket, he stood up from the chair and brushed down the front of his crumpled jacket. Father O'Rourke took to his feet as stiffly as before and offered his hand across the table. The young man gazed at the priest's palm momentarily before taking it and holding it tightly. Oddly startled, he looked directly into the priest's eyes. You'll be sure to come and bless the house now, won't you, father? Before him, the priest saw the image of a child. It had unsettled him since his visitor came through the door, but he could not find the right words of comfort the boy needed in his ears. I'd be delighted to bless the house and all those in it, John. The young man smiled his gratitude at the priest and held his hand a little more. Now, father, I suppose I really must be on my way. Orla will think I got lost in the woods. Father O'Rourke walked the boy to the front door and bade him a kind farewell. Carefully navigating his path down the stone steps, the youth jammed his hands back into the tight pockets of his jeans and hunched his shoulders against the cold. Within seconds, the sound of his footsteps had faded and his form melted silently into the mist. Closing the heavy oak door, Father O'Rourke trudged back to the kitchen and sat wearily at the end of the table. Mrs Fleming had left a pot on the boil, and the windows of the patio doors had steamed to a brilliant white. He had forgotten what was for dinner. He had forgotten what was for breakfast. Placing his smooth cheek in his pan, the priest considered the innocence in the visage of John Brady from Tralee. There was a truth behind the circumstances that led him to the door of this parochial house. The boy was a good soul, but something in his eyes had frightened him. The role of the cleric in this new century was a confounding game, and Father O'Rourke knew well the fluidity of its rules. How he longed for the certainty of days gone by. For now, the world outside had fogged from clear skies to a white night, which pressed heavily against his skull and the patio glass. Looking from pot to kettle, the young priest considered the weight of his parish in the warm air of the room. Between breaths, his vocation slipped to a singular chamber in his heart, and he felt the echo stirring deep within his chest. A phone vibrated loudly on the table and startled the quiet of empty space. It was a message from his mother. Yes, he would visit next weekend. And yes, he was settling in just fine to the countryside. Little by little, it was revealing itself to him.